So I, I feel like I'm all over the place and I apologize. You keep on like, <laughs> making me remember things. You're like, oh, um, yeah, that's a good point. Let's talk about that now. <laughs> Sometimes intelligent conversation mixed with witty banter, often just stream of consciousness, but mainly a dialogue between creatives to find out what motivates us in film, art, and life. This is Creative by Design with Philip LG. What's up, beautiful people? I'm Philip LG. Welcome to the show. So I want to start with a story. About eight years ago, I saw somebody's work and I literally said, how in the hell did they do that? And that doesn't happen to me a lot. Usually I can, you know, kind of work backwards or deconstruct how somebody created something and figure it out. And I literally had no idea how they did it. At that time, there was a lot going on in the world of filmmaking, and there, uh, you know, a lot going on with kind of the DSLR revolution had happened to around, you know, 2008, 2009 timeframe, and a lot of things were going on, and people were continually pushing the limits. And my guest today was one of those people, making things that were not only beautiful but really well thought out and really storytelling. And I think that in order to do what he does well, it reminds me of a quote that I heard uh, recently, and it said, creativity is good, but only for the good craftsmen. So taking the time to perfect your skill and knowing the ins and outs of your craft will make you a better storyteller. And my guest today has done that and done that very well. If you haven't seen his work, I'm sure that you have seen his work without knowing it. This is my conversation with owner of District 7 Media, Drew Geraci. Uh, hi, I'm Andrew Geraci, and I'm a Navy veteran, and I'm the owner of District 7 Media, and I specialize in time-lapse uh, cinematography as well as uh, video production. I am interested to know, actually, about like <laughs> why you joined the military. Like, Where are you from originally, why you joined, and what your service was like? <laughs> Well, let's see. I, I'm from Ohio, and I joined because of a girl, and it was the worst, best mistake of my life. <laughs> so I will say uh, it had its advantages at the time, and then it had it, its disadvantages. But um, overall, I, I joined uh, mainly because I got offered the position of photographer's mate in the Navy um, as a guaranteed rate rather than coming in as undesignated. And I was like, okay, that sounds like a fun job. I'll take it. And uh, at the time, I'd already had a couple uh, full scholarships to other colleges. But I was like, you know what? I think the Navy route is going to be more fun and entertaining and, you know, it'll be an adventure. Uh, so I did that for almost 10 years and uh, you know, came out as a photographer slash videographer and decided that I wanted to start my own business. And that's kind of where I'm at today. Um, where did you work out of? You were on ship for a while, right? Yeah, so I was stationed aboard the uh, the USS Eisenhower um, for about four years uh, before I got accepted into the uh, Syracuse program. Uh, and then from the Syracuse program, I went on to uh, Diego Garcia and then ended up uh, back in Washington for four or five years uh, working for what is now the uh, Defense Media Activity. Uh, which was so much fun <laughs> and probably one of the reasons why I got out of the military. Oh man, that's, <laughs> um, how did you decide that like now is the time for me to get out? Yeah, I think the decision for me, uh, was when we were having a conversation about whether to use DSLRs 
or you know old school ENG cameras that shot four three aspect ratio and uh, four eighty um, freaking uh, resolution. And I was I was sick and tired of utilizing old equipment and old mindsets. And you know you're talking to people that have been in this industry for like thirty years and they're just kind of stuck in this mindset and they don't understand how to innovate or be creative and and try different things. Uh, and it was only after I had produced something with a DSLR, not telling the command that we had used the DSLR. Um, they're like, oh, it's beautiful. And then we revealed that we used the DSLR. And they're like, oh, well, you can't use that because it's not an ENG camera. And we're like, well, you're morons. Uh, and the fact that you know these people aren't able to embrace um, new technology um, and see where the future is going was the number one reason why I got out. I just I said to myself, I'm like, listen, I could be making products that are a thousand times better, more impactful, um, and can actually bring meaning um, to, to different productions. And that's one of the reasons why I got out. And um, I think if leadership had been better uh, and understanding the future and uh, how to innovate, then uh, I probably would have still been in the Navy. <laughs> but thankfully, uh, it didn't. It stayed old and crusty, and uh, I got out, so it was good. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> thankfully for you, it seems like you're you you made it work. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, I do know if I remember correctly, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but when when you got out, you worked for like you took a staff job for a while, right? For um, one of the papers, <laughs> <laughs> I did. It was it was the dark times, as I call it. No, um, <laughs> I took a I took a staff position at the uh, the Washington Times as their uh, multimedia director, um, and was there for about three years. Um, but uh, they had just come off of laying off around um, I think fifteen to twenty different photographers. So we had started off fresh and new, and then we did that for about a year and a half, and then the layoffs came off back again and uh i survived the first and second rounds and then uh did not survive the third round which was about a year after that uh and then it was in that point that i decided to, to start my own business which was uh, district seven media and at the time i was uh, i was partnered up with uh, another guy uh, who was drew breeze uh you may have you've already talked to um <laughs> but we uh, we were partners for a little bit, and then we weren't partners. And now I am the sole owner, and uh, I've got about twenty seven people that are contracted through us that we work with regularly, uh, and uh, the multi million dollar business now. So it's it's pretty awesome. What was that period like for you? Did you always know that? I mean, d- did you always know that you're going to be where you are now, or were you kind of like, oh shit, it's time to get out? Um, okay, I got this job at the Times. Oh shit, I'm laid off. Were you just kind of like treading water, or did you have, you know, some sort of intrinsic confidence <laughs> that you were just gonna like? <laughs> well, I would say if people or people who know me probably know that I'm a little cocky and I'm a little overconfident sometimes, um, but that's only because I feel like I know how to plan out things, and I I have pretty good tendency to know where things are going, trends are happening. And I knew myself for myself, you know, I can do this. I can make this work on my own if I get out um, and do that regardless. I don't need to have a nine to five job. Um, It's really just a big hustle. And, you know, the old saying, you know, fake it until you make it is like the truest statement ever. Um, Because basically I had to transform myself in the beginning to being somebody that, oh, I know what the hell I'm doing. I'm the best in the industry. You want to use me for your services, blah, 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 blah. Um, and then over time, I'm not necessarily saying that those aspects took, took shape, but I became, um, 
well known in the industry and my work uh, was recognized and you know a lot of different Hollywood directors and producers um, and executives saw that stuff and now it's just you know a continuing um, job line of uh, of work so I uh, you know I'm thankful for that but you really in the beginning you have to hustle um, and that's that's one of those things that I don't think a lot of people um, understand and know how to do they think just because they have a degree or they've been in an institute for a while that they automatically come out with all of these different clients and you know oh we can shoot video we can do this um but that's really not the case um you really have to market yourself well market your business well um and and really get your name out there in a positive way and that really i think stems with creating personal projects uh, which is something i don't think a lot of people do or understand like you really want to create a body of work that's you you want to find something that's passionate something that you love to do um, and something that will entice clients um, to come to you and be like oh wow we love what you do with this piece we'd love you to do the same thing for us and do it this way and that way um, and that's how you gain um, I guess uh, following of clients and that's you know kind of where we're at right now yeah and actually um, let's talk about that for a second because I think that we met originally i don't know if we even met or i just became aware of you once like you guys were shooting uh the asylum piece and this i guess this is right after this must have been right after you got out or around 2011 time frame because i went back yeah. to Denfos, um, <laughs> kind of where i was introduced to your work and blown away because at that time like nobody was doing stuff like that um yeah can you talk about that process a little bit? Like, why did you decide to start doing this kind of crazy specialized thing that had, um, like, no no <laughs> real gear to do it, um, no sort of infrastructure to support it? Um, what was that whole thing like? Yeah, I think, you know, starting up with the whole, we'll just say HDR time-lapse photography, um, because that's initially where it started. Um, you know, and at the time, it was around 2008, uh, when I started tinkering around with it and I thought, wow, this is something really interesting, really cool. Um, and really hard to do, like abnormally hard to do, like a single, uh, 10 second shot took about 26 hours to render out, um, which was just insane. And, you know, I thought to myself like, well, you know what, what if we did this, you know, a hundred times, uh, and made a video out of it? Like this could be pretty cool. And at the time, no one really had done it. There was a few, time-lapse pieces out there that, you know, had, and it had inspired me to do something similar, but on a grander scale, I think, um, and put some production quality to it because I think a lot of the videos that I see or have seen, um, they just lack production. Like it's just pretty much like, Hey, let's go find some pretty moments and slap some really bad fonts in front of the, uh, the titles and, um, you know, we'll put some dubstep music behind it. It'll be great. Or some M83 cause everybody loves M83. <laughs> yep. uh, and I'm just like, Oh gosh, be original guys. Um, but for me, I wanted to try something new and something different. Um, and you know, you were talking earlier, it's like, we didn't have the technology to do it. We had to basically make everything up as we went along. Uh, and for that first uh, couple of months, we were shooting the asylum piece. We were lugging in probably 200, 300 pounds worth of gear um, between four people. <laughs> you know, we had to basically carry around a generator, um, like a 40, 50 pound generator, because they didn't have portable batteries at this time um, that we could hook up our slider to. So we were using a generator um, to power our six foot slider, which was Holy crap. I didn't know so that. silly. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. Um, and then we only had one camera because, you know, who has enough money to buy, you know, multiple 
3200 $4,000 cameras and lenses, and you're just like, oh, wow. Uh, so originally, we just started off with one single unit rig uh, and shot everything in tandem. And uh, Asylum, in general, took over six months, nine months to shoot. So um, it, it was a long time going back and forth. But I think that's what was really exciting is that it was a really cool experience got to share and create a lot of different moments and i look at those some of that stuff today and i think it's probably some of my best work um there's a couple <laughs> of scenes that i like sincerely love um it's just like creepy and dark um and dirty and i don't i haven't seen anyone else you know replicate it so it, it's unique um mm -hmm. still to this day um, which is really cool um but i just yeah i'm thinking about that now it's like i i miss doing personal projects and i think that's what you know, really helps people break out into the industry. Though, is those personal projects? Um, yeah, and I and I think that, uh, and I don't want to move too far, you know, uh, in the future. But I feel like you just did one. Yeah. No. Right? I, yeah. Yeah. I just, I just did we, one. But yeah. Go ahead. What were you gonna say? I was like, can we talk about that for a second? Because that's another kind of leap into something that, like, I I I consider myself a fairly innovative dude, smart guy. Um, I would have never thought about macro time lapse, like macro motion control. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> so, like what, as, what are you thinking? So that whole project, yeah. So we're talking about uh, my um, structure microscopic landscape um, video, uh, and that's basically came from me shooting a snowflake with a macro lens and going, "Huh, I bet I can make a video out of this through a microscope," uh, because you know. The last time I'd used a microscope was probably back in high school in like biology, um, and I really didn't pay attention. And I was like, "Oh man, I wish I would have paid attention because that would have been really cool to do." Um, but I ended up buying a microscope, um, like having my eyes opened up to that microscopic world, and been like, "Oh my gosh, this is incredible! We could do anything with this." Um, and then I thought to myself, "I'm like, well, it's great that we could shoot video or photos, but it doesn't do much if it's not moving because." the majority of stuff that's under a microscope is just still. So um, I had to really come up with uh, an innovative way to rig the the landing stage um, where the microscope's um, trays are set um, so that it could move left and right uh, automatically with a slider um, motor. Um, so I kind of jerry-rigged a, a slider or a, a motor from one of my other sliders onto the actual microscope. Uh, <laughs> and then I, I dampened the, uh, the turning radius of it. So it was just super slow because um, if it goes too fast, it's just going to whiz by that microscope lens like a million miles an hour. So we had to go ultra, ultra slow. Um, and that's kind of what created some smooth effects. Now, um, I'm going to admit, like, it wasn't perfect, and I've kind of been revamping um, my method to that as well right now. So we can, I think, in the future see it a, a newer piece. Uh, but I think that was a really cool jumping-off point um, to seeing, you know, what you can do with just uh, you know, coming up with some new ideas. Uh, and, again, it was a personal project. I, I think I've only got around 50,000 um, views on it total. Um, across platforms, which isn't terrible, but uh, I did get a couple of responses from like the Discovery Channel, um, and Daily Mail, and um, some others that are asking, you know, like, "Oh, we'd love you to do a piece for us on this," and blah 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 blah, and we'll we'll get it up there. So I think that again just shows how relevant it is today to do personal projects. I mean, even if it's if it's not huge, um, you'll still get callbacks and you'll start making contacts, and it's cool because it just keeps the momentum going and keeps business alive. Yeah, and keeps you like inspired, right? Yeah, it does. You know, and I'm gonna like it's taken a lot out like 
doing time lapse and video production and owning my own business has taken so much away from what I used to be or who I used to be, I think. Um, I think I'm more concentrated now on the business aspect of making sure, you know, licensing and uh, personal development and helping other people out, um, understand how they can market themselves. Uh, and then just kind of running the business from afar while other people do it now. Um, and I kind of miss, you know, actually getting to you know, work <laughs> on the actual project. Right. So uh, it's, it takes its toll um, as, it, as it happens. Cause I'm kind of lethargic now when it comes to, projects i'm like uh do i really want to shoot that is it going to be worth shooting this time lapse whereas before like 10 years ago it's like let's go out and shoot it regardless it'll be great yeah. uh but then when you have to deal with the 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 space aspect or the um like uh, what's it media management i mean i've got over 250 terabytes of footage uh on three different servers mm. and it's just like how do i manage all this now it's just going to keep going and going and going so now i really have to think like is it worth my time and effort to actually produce anything because it's just going to cost me more money to store it and save it and back it up and do everything else. And um, now it's like everything has to have a value on it. So if I shoot something, I have to be, be able to get a return from that. Um, so, Yeah, there's a lot happens. of, uh, I don't want to say like innocence or, or, you know, freedom, but like when you're not doing things for, for a client or for money, just for your own like self-exploration or learning or yeah. desire to do a thing, there's, it's, it's sometimes more fulfilling because um, you, there's no, you're not worried about those things. Right. Um, so I want to go back to personal projects real quick and because I yep. think that your story, and I don't know if you and I have talked about this specifically, but I feel like, I feel like your story is almost and while this being the exception, I think is almost one of the most like A to B um, <laughs> personal projects to paid. Uh, <laughs> right. heard of. Um, so can you t talk about um, it? If, and if anybody who's listening to this, which is a, a whole three people, I'm sure um, <laughs> doesn't know who you are, you're responsible for the intro to the uh, show house of cards. Correct. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So that was um, that was a fun endeavor. Yeah. So tell me about how that came to be. Yeah. So you know, initially the whole House of Cards thing started uh, right when I got out of the military. Um, I had like a two, three week period between um, getting out of the military and starting my job at the Washington Times. Uh, so I took it upon myself to go out and uh, shoot DC uh, with HDR or utilizing HDR photography uh, and putting it together in a little time lapse um, piece. And then I threw that out to Vimeo. Um, it got some hits and then I'd probably say three to four months later, I get a phone call and on the other end is, uh, is David Fincher and he's just like, Oh, Hey, you know, we'd love to have lunch uh, sometime and talk about a new project. And at the time I'm like, okay, cool. Like it's not the David Fincher. It's gotta be somebody else. Um, <laughs> but it turns out to be it's the real David Fincher. You know, you're talking about, uh, you know, fight club, social media, girl, with the dragon tattoo. And I'm just like, Oh, this is pretty dope. And then, right. uh, you know, we, we get to talking at lunch. He's like, oh, I've got this great project. It's going to be really cool. And, you know, I'm looking for somebody to shoot uh, some some time lapse. And he, he's going on and on. He's like, I was watching your video in bed with my wife. Uh, and he's like recalling shots. He's like, I love this one shot you had with the arm reaching out and everything. And I'm just sitting to myself. I'm like, holy shit, he's watching my videos in bed. <laughs> like, this is crazy. Uh, and it was a really surreal moment, but really, really fun and very entertaining um to like 
you know, be a part of that. And then he basically said, you know, go out and shoot DC um, however you feel, but I'm just looking for a gritty, dark, um, and seedy. And I'm like, okay, cool. That's pretty much what DC really is. So I will, uh, I will find those locations for you. Um, and then we spent six months shooting the, uh, the title sequence, um, back and forth. And we actually just reshot it twice because originally he wanted snow in it and we started the project in April. So it was a little past snow time. Uh, <laughs> and if you know anything about DC, it rarely snows here. So, um, mm-hmm. It's very difficult to get snow. So we ended up shooting um, a new intro for season two, uh, which has, I think, 12 to 13 different scenes than the first season does. Um, but that's the only time the uh, the intro changes. Uh, but it was it was quite the experience. Um, and it's unfortunate that I think the name's been tarnished a bit because of certain events from certain people. Right. And uh, it's very unfortunate. But it's been six years, seven years. So it's uh, it's 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 run its course, which is great. Uh, and now right. we're looking to do another projects. Yeah, and personal action aside, it's a fantastic show. Yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's a pretty good show. Like, it, I think the last <laughs> season went a little overboard with uh, outlandish things, but uh, I've read some things with a new script and interested. I think it'll be fun. <laughs> so we'll see. But that's it. Nice. What was that whole production process like for you? I mean, six months of shooting, but were you doing, you know, shots here and there and sending them in? Or did you wait till you were all done and just send them everything? Like, how did that whole thing work? Uh, so we would send the production house, uh, not necessarily dailies, but we would send weeklies where we'd show them an update of what we're shooting. And that would need to, uh, to look through the shots, um, critique them and place them in an arrangement, uh, you know, that was suited to the show. Um, and that we were basically shooting two to three days a week um, for those six months. And it was really wow. only when the weather was uh, was right. So uh, thankfully, I think it was a really stormy summer, spring. Um, so if you look at the, the shots, a lot of them have storm clouds. And mm-hmm. only only if well, I think there's only two shots that actually utilize sun. But halfway through, we started to realize that I think the shadows play a larger part in um, the storytelling than anything else. Uh, so you'll actually, you can see this, like the shadows progressing throughout the day. And, you know, I always like to think that the shadows are Frank Underwood's darkness sweeping over (laughs) DC. Yeah. There's gotta be motivation there. There's gotta be some motivation. So, um, I think that's, that's pretty much the gist of it. That's a hell of a way to be introduced into, uh, you know, owning your business freelancing. (laughs) Yep. This is absolutely. And I, I, I feel very fortunate because it was in itself a very lucky break, um, that I got that. And I think, you know, I am known as that, that house of cards intro guy, uh, which is phenomenal and I'll own it, but I always, I kind of want to break away from that at some point and, uh, you know, do other things, um, and continue uh, creating awesome and amazing uh, products that aren't just house of cards related. (laughs) Right. And actually I want to talk to you about that too, because, um, you're, you know, you clearly have found a, a niche or at least in the people that I know are known as a, sure. a time-lapse you know, motion control guy. But I've seen your video work and it's scary good, like your actual like oh, production thanks. level stuff. Um, and so I want to talk to you about that because in the military, and I'm sure this is your experience too, they, they push uh, generalizing. they like, hey, I want you to be able to do everything. Um, <laughs> Probably at a mediocre level at best. Right, yeah. <laughs> if that. Yeah, exactly. Whereas based on my experience, you know, outside the military, if you don't specialize, people aren't gonna call you for 
anything. So like they don't know what you do. Right. Um, so can you talk about like, yeah. So for anyone that is, you know, interested in obtaining real world work um, outside of the military, it really comes down to having a specialized um, uh, job or a specialized skill. Um, because a lot of people aren't looking for someone who is generally good in everything. They want somebody that's exceptionally good um, in one thing. And it's great to have additional skills. And I think you should have additional skills, but I think you should have one ultimate skill where you're just like the freaking Kung Fu master uh, of it. And you're able to really go out and execute that particular part of the job um, better than anybody else. Because uh, that in itself is what's going to sell um, your talents um, to clients and to potential employers. So I would say without a doubt, you want to have those um, those additional abilities, but definitely specialize in in one particular yeah. And then you can kind of like work other skills into, you know, somebody hires you for one thing, but like, oh, but I can also do these three other things or know the people that can do them well. Yeah. But I, and I think that it comes down to people understanding their abilities and limitations, because I'm going to be honest with you. Some people just don't have a graphical um, background. They don't understand typography. They don't understand um, certain aspects and some people don't have a creative eye so some people aren't camera operators but they want to be um so it's a real it's a challenge for people to uh, kind of find out what they're good at um and i think that's why it's important to have a specialized skill and then learn secondary um, skills after that i think once you get to a certain point in your career where you need to do personal projects, but you don't have the time because you're working to make money, right? So you're actually doing <laughs> yeah, it's true. You're working um, to live. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but you have a unique situation where I feel, and I don't know what your you know revenue is, but I feel like you have a, have a passive income selling stock work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so can you talk about like the mindset behind that a little bit and how you, like what made you decide to do, do that and how it like, allows you a little bit of freedom to do other things that you want to do. Yeah, I think when it comes to stock licensing, um, a big part of that is with the photography world um, comes licensing because with everything that we do with time-lapse, it's photography-based and it's also video-based. So you kind of get a double-dipping um, effect going on here because you can license to video, you can license to still, um, and it's something that I just thought as a you know, this business opportunity, this is a great idea. You know, we've got all of these um, wonderful locations and images from these locations. You know, why not sell them to third parties? Uh, which is one of the reasons why I don't do work for hires anymore, um, because you you lose all of your copyright and your ownership to the material. So mm -hmm. I think it's really important for anyone who's getting into this business, if they're thinking about doing stock video or photo, is to understand um, they need to do it more on a uh, commissioning basis. So like you're an artist and your client is commissioning you to do this and you want to be able to retain those rights. So unless they end up paying for it, which some clients do, I mean, we had um, a Chinese client that was paying uh, $10,000 per, uh, per sequence of video, which is fine by me. So they can own that um, if the price is right, obviously. Uh, but you always want to stipulate in your contracts whether or not you're going to have um, you know, non-exclusive rights or exclusive rights um, and then what the client's going to get you know, back and forth. So uh, for me, <clears throat> licensing was just, you know, second nature. <clears throat> and it's something as a secondary passive income uh, can really almost provide a full-time income. Uh, if you've got enough clips and a lot of enough uh, clout and reach with your marketplace, um, you could easily make $100,000 a year um, just selling clips, 
which is pretty remarkable. Uh, and it's something that I've honestly thought about doing is just going out and um, just stock market selling. Um, it's kind of a brutal mm -hmm. business because you have to continue supplying with new material and new resolutions um, and, you know, keep up with the market, which I think is, you know, it's very doable, but it, it in itself is a full-time job, which is why I think it's great when I'm able to go out on other jobs and retain that material and then license that material afterwards. So it's kind of like the job itself is paying me and then I'm getting another paycheck later on because I can resell the material at a, at a future point. Um, is there, is there something in the contract or is it different, uh, levels, I guess about like, um, you know, let's say I'm doing this job, uh, and I'm shooting all these time lapses. Is there like a waiting period before you can sell or is it like, Hey, you can edit these however you want, but I can also put them on my website to sell or, it all comes down to the contract. So in the negotiation process, you know, we'll normally we'll talk about, okay, well, we'll own the rights to this material, but we won't distribute until your product has released. Um, so that was the case in a couple of clients that we had. So we actually sat in the material for over two years um, before they released their product. Um, so it kind of makes that material kind of less valuable at that point because, um, for instance, we were shooting New York. Um, and the skyline changes in New York, like literally every year, there's like a new building. Um, and we had shot something that had uh, a lot of potential for sale um, or, or had value on it, but the World Trade Center hadn't been completed yet at the time. So it was kind of silly to sell it now in 2018 because it's an uncompleted World Trade Center tower. Um, uh -oh. So it's kind of like womp womp, we lost our opportunity to sell. But that's some of the things you have to understand and um, the whole licensing game is, and that's why you have to stay fresh. That's why you have to keep shooting new material. Yeah. And that's going to be hard too with a, it's not like you're going out to shoot stills or you're going out to even just shoot video footage. I mean, one shot could take you hours, uh, upon yeah. hours to make. Absolutely. Well, it's not even just about the shooting. So, I mean, you could spend easy minimum is like one hour per shot. Um, but then your your longer shots like day to night transitions, uh, you know, you're five, six, seven hours, and then you have another three to four hours, maybe even five hours of just editing it uh, with processing and color correction, stabilization. So uh, it really takes its toll um, per shot, and that's why you know you have to char charge accordingly. A lot of these guys and a lot of these amateurs are like, oh yeah, I'll shoot a whole time lapse project for you for, for like five hundred dollars, um, and I just don't think under people understand you know, how much their time is worth and what actually goes into creating um, product. Uh, and that's why I think I like, I try to educate people as much as I can um, so that they know what they're worth and they know what the value is of their work um, and they're able to uh, reap the benefits. But everybody in the, the community reaps the benefits at that point too, because then it keeps the prices um, at a consistent level and it's not nosediving because Joe Blow over here decided to do a project for, 90% less than what the industry standard really is. That's tough. That's actually one thing that I'm constantly afraid of. And I try to educate myself on is uh, obviously I do something yeah. different, but it gets me scared when I bid on a job and I feel like, Oh, I feel like I'm too cheap because it will degrade the value over time of the entire industry. Um, yeah. No, you know, I, that's one thing I think that people aren't aware of as much. No. And here's the thing too. I think people aren't aware of what companies actually have for a budget. Um, and I can take back to a, a, a client that I had maybe four years ago. And this is back basically when we first started the business. And 
I had made a bid on the job for what I thought was a pretty reasonable price for two days of shooting. Um, I, I bid $32,000 and I was like, okay, we can do this for $32,000. Um, you know, I thought it was a lot because it was just two days of shooting and the, the client was like, oh yeah, no problem. That's wonderful. And then we're shooting it and we're doing a great job. We're at the client or the clients with us eating dinner. And he's like, oh man, you guys were amazing. We had a $150,000 budget and you guys just, you know, crushed it at the $32,000 mark. <laughs> and I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? $150,000. And you know, it was it was from that point because they basically educated me that another person had come in um, at ninety thousand dollars, and um, they they turned them down and went with us for the thirty two. And I felt like a schmuck because I then at that point in time just degraded the value of what we were doing because yeah. I thought it was a lot of money. Um, and well, and that's where people have to educate people, and you know, coming. From where I'm at now, I really try to do a good job of, of educating people of like, okay, you're bidding two thousand for this job. No, bid ten thousand for this job. And then, mm. you know, go from there because um it's <laughs> it just degrades and dilutes the whole marketplace if you don't do that. And it's not like what you do is easy or quick, you know? Yeah, right, exactly. And it's specialized because I, I I look at this and I look at the jobs that I do, and I'm like, oh, it's easy to me. And I'm like, anybody could do this. Like anybody could do this. And then I, I see people doing it and I'm like, oh, wow, they're really sucking. Like they don't know what the <laughs> fuck they're doing. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cuss. You um, can swear. swear okay, good. Uh, perfect. Uh, but it just, it occurs to me, it was like, you know what? People don't know what to do and they don't know how to do this job. And there really are only a handful of people that are capable of doing this and doing it well. Um, you know, anybody can pick up a camera it really comes down to the person behind the camera to choose the composition, choose the lighting and make it look, uh, money, honestly. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's really doesn't matter the type of gear that you buy. Obviously it helps, um, in some position, but it really comes down to your skill level and your ability to, to see the final product. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that, uh, you may have told me this a, a years ago now, I think you said something like, like you're you're not shooting for the shot right now. You're shooting for the shot like four hours from now, yeah, or something like that. And that's uh, that's what blew me away initially. Was like, oh, this person literally has to see in the future. Yeah, I mean, especially yeah. in time lapse photography, you have to see into the future. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, you're gonna like screw your shot up. I don't know. There's always variables you have to think about. I do want to talk about that with you a little bit too about gear specifically because I. I know that you, and I don't know this about you. I assume that you like a gear. Um, and I, I, I like and, gear. Um, but you have a, like, you choose very specific cameras to do your job very specifically, right? Like, right. Um, it's the best gear to do the best job possible. Um, so that has to, I mean, that has to play a part, right? Yeah. No, I mean, I, I mean, if you're looking for certain features, functions, and abilities, then yes, it comes down to choosing the right gear. Um, you know, for me personally, I want to make sure I've got something that has a high dynamic range. Uh, it's got great ISO uh, and the ability to take, um, you know, 8K stills or 8K video um, just because it's a resolution war now. Um, and higher resolution sells more and um, it produces a better imagery or it produces not better imagery, but better um, clarity in the shot. So um, it's gear is super important. And with, you know, just not just camera gear, you think about the computer uh, components that go with that. You need to have a system that's able to, to chunk through all of that, the material. Um, and 
8K or 6K material is not easy to, to edit. Um, so you really have to build a beefy machine, which isn't cheap. I mean, you could pay upwards of eight to $10,000 just for a, a decent computer. Yeah. And that's one of those things that comes back to kind of like, uh, you know, professional versus amateurs. Like, right. Um, and yes, sure. I could take a 5D Mark III and go out and buy an intervalometer and shoot a time lapse and process it on my laptop. Um, but who you're the guy shooting out with with four camera bodies uh, on motion control rigs shooting 8k bringing it back and be able to turn that product around quicker because time is money right um and all that costs money plus you know your decade plus experience doing this thing you know uh, i i believe that production companies or like creative agencies in general are, are gonna hire the lowest risk person yeah um and so if you have a track record of success and like uh yeah i feel like experience to some degree but in others i'm just like i i've been underbid so many times by competitors and gotten so many emails back from the actual client saying oh we wish we had gone with you um <laughs> i think people are like people really don't like the bottom line if they can save some money they will save some money um but it educates themselves when they realize that you know sometimes you get what you pay for um, so if you purchase or you hire somebody that's a cheap labor, um, production quality is probably not going to be that good. Um, transitioning out, what advice would you give um, somebody you know like myself? Like, what are the things that I should do to be, you know, successful, uh, productive, all that sort of things? To include, like, should I go to college? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think for anyone that's you know getting out or has the aspect or the aspirations to get out, um, really start networking with um, different types of production companies, um, specialized units, or just you know people in general that you want to work around. Um, and I think that's one of the things that helped me the most is the fact that I, I had a pretty strong network when I got out of the military and I was able to say, oh hey, you know, um, do you have an opening or a position here, or can I you know help shoot you? with this and that. Um, so I think it's very important. Um, the next thing is education. I think education is important, but not necessarily a college degree important. Um, I think more vocational training or hands-on training or even um, sites like Skillshare or lynda.com um, probably have more value than going to a you know, four-year college. Um, just because you're not going to learn in my opinion, a lot from college besides the very basics. And if you're in the military, you've probably already got the very basics. Um, and now you need to build upon a found, that foundation um, and get into a specialized area um, where you can really shine. Um, and I know there's a lot of folks that I've seen um, that have really progressed far in the military. Um, and then they're kind of at that tipping point where it's like, okay, do I stay in? Do I get out? You know, make rank, blah, 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 blah. Um, but you really want to take what you have and the information that you've learned um, and apply it to the civilian world. So if you're a photographer, go out there and um, start working on your own um, personal project that's photography related, whether it's portraits, landscape, city, architecture, whatever. Um, really get your portfolio together and get a website together. People underestimate the power of a website, but um, a good 60% of my business is people just passing through and be like, oh, hey, we searched time-lapse and we found your website um, and you know it looked really good and we're going to go with you if, you if you want it. And I think that's a great opportunity for people um, to maximize because making a website is super cheap. 
Um, and if you have any kind of understanding of how design works, um, if you make it look professional enough, people will believe that you are professional enough to, to hire. Um, and I will say that image is almost everything in this business. So if you project yourself as being successful, you project yourself as being um, competent and understanding what to do, it will really help you and take you a long way into the future. And that's probably all my advice I can give. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I, you actually answered like three of the questions that I didn't ask. So yeah. that was perfect. Okay. So I don't, I don't want to keep you longer than, than I have you. One last thing, man. Yeah. What, what inspires you like every day when you get up, what inspires you to create anything? <laughs> oh man, I'm going to be so honest with you right now. I've been so uninspired. Um, it's, it's been the worst, but I will say the most, the, the best thing for me to stay inspired, um, really is just to go out at least once a day and learn something new. Um, I'm always inspired when I see people's work on Facebook or Instagram. I'm like, oh, wow, that's a really cool shot. Maybe when I'll, I'll, I'll recreate it, um, and put my own twist on it. Um, so I think it's really just kind of taking everyday, um, aspects and, um, you know, cherishing them is lame as that sounds i don't know but um i don't know i just get fired up when i see someone's work i'm like oh wow that's really good i think i can do better and then you just kind of <laughs> go out there and you, i don't necessarily want to say show them up but show that you have the ability to do as good or if not better i don't think people talk about this but i think there is such a competitive aspect to everything that we do whether we acknowledge yeah. it or not we're always like oh i could do better than that guy i'm gonna go to it yeah yeah, yeah. Dude, there is a 100 percent competitive aspect but i'll say like in this industry, it's mostly like friendly, competitive aspect. Like it's like, oh, hey, you did a great job. I'm gonna do a better job because I'm gonna do it <laughs> this way. Um, but I also learn from other people too um, through that way. So like, I can see someone who maybe shot a scene a particular way, and I was like, oh wow, had they only used an ND filter and dragged the shutter a little more, that shot would have been amazing. Um, so I'll go out and not necessarily steal the shot, but replicate it, uh, but put what my what I think would look better. And you know, lo and behold, it you know it kind of looks better so uh right yeah you just kind of you take it as it comes awesome so i can't thank drew enough for taking the time and talking to us today one thing i'm noticing as i talk to more and more people is they're, they're finding inspiration in things that aren't necessarily directly correlated to filmmaking or photography or film in general um they're going outside and they're finding inspiration from daily things i'll put links in all the show notes but if you look at drew's latest piece structure you know this whole thing was shot in his kitchen or his living room or something and it's beautiful and well thought out and so that's what i encourage people to do just go outside get away from the computer get away from the cameras go experience life a little bit because everything that we do everything that we create is not just that thing it is a culmination of our life and our life experiences so go live do stuff adventure and then come back and make epic shit thanks for listening i'm philip elgie